Have you ever waited for something? I mean, like, really waited for something. You see, this season is all about waiting, especially for our little ones. It's true today, and it was true over 2,000 years ago. Usually when we wait for something, we're excited. Perhaps we're even a little bit nervous as we wait. Maybe you've, you've been there. Uh, Dr. Seuss says it best in his book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, when he writes about the waiting place. He says, for people just waiting, waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. (laughs) Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for a fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is waiting. See, typically, when we're waiting for something, we're ready for whatever it is we're waiting for, because you're expecting it. We might not be ready for exactly what happens, but we're almost always ready to know. Have you been in that situation where you're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but I need this answer And once I have this answer, I can deal with whatever's coming. Whether we're waiting for an answer about a job or an answer about a diagnosis, or maybe you're waiting and you remember you've been in that place where you're waiting to hear whether it's a boy or a girl, uh, waiting to hear if someone reached their destination. We make sure that we're ready to receive the news. We check our emails. We check our text messages. We make sure our phone is not on do not disturb so we, we don't miss the call. We make sure that the phones aren't on silent. You know, it's funny. Uh, I've learned living here in Alabama, whenever there's a chance for a school delay, uh, whether that's for like severe weather or, or, or you know, winter storms or whatever, um, if there's a chance for closure due to severe weather, every kid in America loves to watch the news waiting to see the name of their school scroll across the bottom of the TV. Snow day. They love it. They're waiting with anticipation. When our country ushers in a new leader, they're ready. The news stations have all hands on deck. I didn't know there were that many reporters for some of our news stations until it comes time for a presidential election. They're analyzing data. They have a reporter in every state and at most of the polls, checking in with updates and all kinds of stuff. Or even crazier than our presidential elections is, it seems lately, at least in the last 10 years or so, when an heir to the, to the uh, British throne is born, the media have typically just been camped outside the hospital for days, waiting for the announcement on that special day. You know, even long ago, people would wait with bated breath as they announced the birth and gender of a royal. And not much has changed We're still enamored for some reason with the old time traditions that are followed involving the births and the childhood of royal heirs to the British monarchy. In days of old, there would be a town crier. He would start out something like this. Hear ye, hear ye, blah, blah. On this day, a son or daughter was born to the king. And with all that pomp and circumstance, they still wouldn't tell you the baby's name. Just that it was born on this day. It was never mentioned publicly, the baby's name, until it was the day of their christening. And even today, years later, a royal birth announcement is posted publicly 
in front of Buckingham Palace that states the information of the baby. The birthday, the weight, the length, whether it's a boy or a girl, minus its name. No names are given, which kind of makes sense because when I was looking into that, most of the royals literally have like five or six names in their name, and it probably takes a good seven or eight days to put all those names together in the right order. But then at their christening, they actually are given their name, and it's proclaimed to everyone. Now, there's more than just naming a little royal, though, with that pomp and circumstance and tradition. There's stuff like who's allowed and who's required to be in the delivery room. Shockingly enough, up until just a few years ago, the father or husband was not allowed to be in the delivery room when a royal baby was being born. But there was someone from parliament that had to be in the room to verify that the baby was actually born to stamp that he was a royal birth baby. But the dad couldn't be in there. I thought that was crazy. Um, there's, a, there's all kinds of stuff going on when a new baby is born with royalty. And usually they give this crazy gaggle of first names. And what is a, baby's, a, a royal baby's last name anyways? Does anyone really know? If you're wondering, it's usually named after a place in the area. For example, like Cambridge. It'd be like Prince so-so-so-so-so-so Cambridge. They don't even get to carry their own real last name. They're given a, a place as a last name. I just thought it was interesting. All kinds of stuff that people are waiting to hear that means nothing. Everybody hears about it, whether you want to or not, the birth of a royal. Most people are found waiting for the news or at least expecting it. And no one wants to miss out on royal baby fever. I don't understand that. But traditionally, when a royal baby is born, the colors of pink and blue or brown or whatever are not associated with the birth of a royal baby. Whether it's a boy or a girl, they are typically adorned with a purple blanket of some sort, a very long, way big purple blanket. And then on their christening, they're given a white christening gown. When Jesus was born, even roughly 2,000 years of prophecy about the most important birth news ever heralded, about the most important royal ever brought to earth, the arrival of the King of Kings, and it was missed by almost everyone. And so today, as we open up this series on the colors of Christmas, the color that we're going to talk about is purple. No, it's not your typical red, white, green, or gold. We'll get into those later. But the color purple, it's associated with royalty. It's also associated with the Advent celebration. And so I think it's appropriate that we start with purple as we are indeed awaiting to celebrate the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I also want to remind you that while the world was waiting for the coming Messiah, much of the modern world back then missed the coming completely. Not just his birth. They didn't just miss his birth. They didn't just miss his childhood. Most of them actually missed his whole life. And even when he stood before them, when he read the prophecies that were written about himself, when he showed them signs and wonders and love and compassion and mercy in a time of law and sacrifice, they missed the greatest gift of all time. There are many prophecies about Jesus, about his birth, his life, and his purpose. One of my favorites is from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The prophet Isaiah is telling King Ahaz this good news about Jesus as part of a pep talk. Uh, because what happened was um, Ahaz found that, that Syria and Ephraim were going to attack, and God wanted to encourage him. And so Isaiah is not only telling Ahaz that what was being planned would not stand, this attack would not stand. He's not just telling that, but he's telling him that that it would come to pass 
And he reminds Ahaz of God's promise to continue David's lineage. Look at this, Isaiah 7, 14. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Micah 5, verses 1 through 5. Micah tells of his birth, of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, of his shepherd role, if you will. And here's what it says. It says, now muster your troops. You should say that. There it is. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces. Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. You see, there's just a couple of prophecies of Jesus. Actually, there are more than just a couple, but Hosea 11 speaks of Joseph and Mary and Jesus fleeing to Egypt to escape Herod's death threat. Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2 lays out Jesus' preaching ministry in Galilee, his role as God's light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 53, 4 encourages the reader of Jesus' healing ministry and his role as God's servant. Isaiah 42 Verses 1 through 4 prophesy about his role as God's chosen and loved servant and his reluctance to attract attention to himself. Even though he was a royal of royal birth, the king of kings, lord of lords, he didn't want to draw attention to himself. He wanted to focus attention to God. In Psalm 78, verse 2, we're encouraged by what would become his teachings in parables and his role in proclaiming God's sovereign rule. And then Zechariah 9, 9 is a prophecy about Jesus' entry, his humble entry into Jerusalem and his role as king. Not to mention all of the prophetic writings about his betrayal, his arrest, his death and his, as a suffering servant, his resurrection being our final sacrifice. He would fulfill the law and usher in God's forgiveness, God's grace and his mercy. All of this information accumulated and given to God's people, Israel, over the years and yet largely they missed it. Because they missed it, I think that's one of the reasons that as he ministered on earth, Jesus spoke several times about his return and how the world needs to be prepared for it. Uh, and it's my opinion. It doesn't say that in scripture, but when I look at, at, at all the stuff that was there in the Old Testament, and yet they still missed his birth and, and they missed key things in his life, I think this is Jesus taking an opportunity to say, hey, you missed it the first time, and I'm going to leave. And when I come back around, you don't want to miss it again. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But when the wise took flasks, the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed... They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. 
Then all of those virgins rose, they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, you may be wondering, what does that have to do with a Christmas message about the colors of Christmas and about Jesus being born? Well, let's unpack this for a quick minute. First off, this parable is a continuation of chapters 23 and 24. So I want to encourage you to read all of those this week. But here we find Jesus basically highlighting to his listeners that since the Jewish people missed his birth due to their unbelief, um, and by the way, they were partially judged for that in A.D. 70, but that's another sermon. Um, but he's, he's emphasizing that they need to be prepared for his return. They weren't prepared for his, his arrival. They weren't prepared for his birth. They weren't prepared for his ministry. They weren't prepared for those because they, they were just overlooking it. And so he's emphasizing they need to be prepared for his return so that they can escape judgment. They can enter into the blessing of being in his presence eternally. This parable is given to underscore the importance of being ready for Christ's return. We get ready for a lot of things. We put a lot of preparation into a lot of things. Some people are actually crazy enough that they set out all of their clothes of an evening that they're going to wear the next day. I don't know who would do that or why. But we prepare. We prepare for everything. We just had Thanksgiving. And if you prepared well for Thanksgiving, you bought a turkey probably two weeks ago and it was in your freezer. If you prepared really well for Thanksgiving, on Sunday sometime, you took it out of the freezer and put it in the refrigerator so that it could gently thaw out for 72 hours before it came time to roast it. If you were partially prepared, you thought, I'll just set it on the counter. And like my sister-in-law, it was still a little bit frozen when they started cooking it. But that's funny. And it's another story. But we prepare for everything. When, in, in, in August, actually in, in uh, June and July, we start preparing for back to school. The sales go out. There's a tax-free weekend. And, and we, we prepare. We buy all this stuff. Some people are really crazy. They're preparing for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> They're stocking up on freeze-dried pizza and freeze-dried water or whatever else it is that they stock up on. We'll prepare for something like that. But as a whole, we're not prepared for Christ's return. And he's laying it out there. He said, hey, don't miss this. Don't be foolish. I will return. Even if like the bridegroom, I tarry, I wait a little while longer than you expect. I'm coming back and you need to be prepared. So I can't say that enough. The king of kings is going to come back. Amen. And when he does, no matter how long it takes, when he returns, there's going to be no second chances for the unprepared. The groom in this parable is symbolic of Jesus. The arrival is his second coming. The ten virgins are symbolic of the church. The wise were ready to meet him. The foolish were not. Are you ready to meet him? Now, here's the kicker. The oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's great. Acts 2.38 says we should repent of our sins, be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we will have oil in our lamp. You see, the oil refers to what prepares us to give off light 
to be a reflection of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit in us. As long as we don't snuff him out, as long as we don't run out of oil, if you will. You see, the lamps refer to our lives, which are either prepared or unprepared. The fact that they all slept in this parable while the bridegroom tarried, while he waited to come, actually implies a period of Jewish inactivity where the church aged while the bride is gathered. Listen, we're talking about believers here who understand that we are totally dependent upon God for his righteousness and anointing. And we're dependent on God's word for truth and comfort and strength. That's why I say every week, go to win and commit to grow. Folks, if you're committed to growing in the word of God and in relationship with Christ, you're not going to run out of oil. All right. But if you're not committed to growing in relationship with God, if you're not committed to spending time in his word and when he returns, you're going to run out of oil. You're going to miss it. Jesus told these five foolish virgins, he said, I don't know you. I know you not. And it seems like a harsh thing to say to people who are waiting for him to come back. They're waiting for the bridegroom. But remember, they weren't prepared. The harsh reality is many people claim to know Christ, but they're not obedient to him. Many people claim to know Christ, but they don't live their lives for him. Many people can claim to know Christ, but they remain in the world. They remain connected and living in the flesh and their own desires. Claiming to know Christ, but in reality, they know head knowledge. They don't know heart knowledge. They don't know hand knowledge, meaning they never actually live out what they know to be true of God's word. And so we're not ready when the bridegroom returned. You know, this isn't the first time that Jesus has given them this warning. He shared a similar message in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He says to them, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man. Here's what it comes down to. In the Old Testament, there are many prophecies about the coming Messiah and what he would do when he came to earth people didn't want to believe it. When he was right in front of them, they didn't want to believe it. And in the New Testament, there are many parables and stories that tell us what we need to do in order to be prepared for the return of the king. He came to earth by humble means. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. If anyone should have been adorned with a purple blanket and been treated with fanfare and parades and a standing birth announcement in front of the palace, it should have been Jesus. Instead, he was born in a stable swaddled in strips of cloth. His royal bed was the food trough that was in the stable that the animals ate out of. And so as we celebrate the birth of King Jesus this Christmas season, whenever you see the color purple, whether it's in ribbons or ornaments or wrapping paper, may you remember that the coming of our King was announced by angels to the shepherds. I think it was because the Jews had all the prophecies of the coming Messiah yet they still missed it. And so, so God sent his heralders to the shepherds, to the ones who would listen. As we come to our response time this morning, I want to encourage you to do whatever you need to so that you can prepare yourself to properly celebrate the coming of King Jesus. Maybe for you, you just simply need to repent, to recommit yourself to following Jesus and allowing him to be the focal point of your life again. 
Maybe your response is to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whatever your response is this morning, though, will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond to God's word accordingly? Oh, come, oh, come, amen.